Hey folks, Scott Weingart here, and this is the MCrit Podcast. Now, today on the podcast, we're going to do an airway topic, even though it is not January airway. It's actually December. So why am I doing an airway topic? And, you know, this time of the year, the time after Thanksgiving in America until Christmas, it's one of my favorite times of the year. I love it getting dark early. I love that it's still warm enough to walk around without bundling yourself up like a snowman. I love the hygge feeling of the early nights and candles and everything is great. And my relaxed experience was made discordant by a piece published in MRAP in November. And it was on a topic that I had thought about multiple times addressing on MCRIT and on MRAP as well. And the topic is the retrograde intubation. And I discarded this as a topic. I thought on both venues it would be net negative to discuss retrograde intubation, that it may only lead people astray to doing things they probably shouldn't be doing. And so I decided I just wouldn't cover it. I'd leave it in the coffers of history, along with things like blind digital intubation and blind nasal intubation, things in yesteryear we used to do and now we don't need to do anymore. Now, that's a little unfair to retrograde intubation. It does have some small, tiny, minuscule utility still in the airway regimen, but not enough to make it worth the possibility of misuse in the hands of people that are using it in inappropriate patients. So I said, forget it. There's better stuff to talk about. Maybe in 2033, we'll run out of topics. We could do retrograde intubation. But then this MRAP piece was so misaligned to the proper use of retrograde intubation and so, um, I think, insufficient in terms of how it was said to do a retrograde intubation that I decided, screw it, I'm going to cover it here. So today, we will do retrograde intubation. Hey folks, super quick announcement. We finally have the dates for Reanimate 10. Reanimate 9 was incredible and sold out super quickly. So if you're interested in the best resuscitative ECMO course available today, go to reanimateconference.com. That address again reanimateconference.com. It is in San Diego, November 13th and 14th, 2024. So what is retrograde intubation? Essentially, you're going to be entering the trachea and threading a wire up. And then you could do various permutations that allow you to then intubate using that wire. So instead of a needle cricotherotomy where you're sending a wire down, this time you're sending a wire up. Hence, retrograde. Now, which patients is this technique for? And this is really where I think many people get it wrong. Retrograde intubation was really intended for patients who are still breathing on their own, which means in an anesthesia realm that might be sedating a patient, putting them in a state of deep sedation, and then doing this technique for a patient with a uh, predicted anatomically difficult airway before the advent of bronchoscopy being easily available to airway managers. And um, in our world, 
I think the place that still has utility is in a patient you have done a planned awake intubation in, whether that be a dissociated awake intubation or a topicalized awake intubation. And you're having trouble still locating the laryngeal structures. And this is still possible in patients with really um, distorted anatomy. Sometimes, you know, you have them awake, you get in there with either a video laryngoscope or a bronch, and you just can't find the cords. Well, that is the spot where awake intubation still has the possibility of being used. Now, in the past, prior to the advent of fiber optics, you will see case reports of patients who are actually induced into a state of general anesthesia and then had an awake intubation performed. Now, these were patients who were coming in with elective cases and were not predicted to be difficult to bag. In fact, some of the case reports, these were patients who had come in with prior um, operations and were shown to be easy to bag. Or um, if it was going to be a standard elective anesthesia case, these would be patients who would actually get a sedative like propofol and then have a trial of bagging to make sure that bagging is easy before they would have their muscle relaxant pushed. And therefore, in an elective operating room case, in the past, you may have used retrograde intubation in a patient who is not breathing. That is in no way applicable to a resus patient who is not breathing. Um, and that's really where the MRAP piece went wrong. They had a patient, that, the, the lead case to demonstrate why retrograde intubation was a great idea was a patient with a GI bleed who they had RSI'd, who they had tried to intubate and had so much blood and uh, aspirate in their mouth that they couldn't see with a laryngoscope. And the patient's sats at that moment in time were still 92%. So they decided that instead of putting in a supraglottic airway, and temporizing or performing a cricothyrotomy, that they were going to do a retrograde intubation. And they build this as a great test case, a patient who was absolutely at the uh, brink of instability. Uh, just because that 92 is there at this moment in time doesn't mean they're not going to plummet. With a patient who is breathing by bagging through a mouthful of blood, that with each breath, it's being blown into their lungs by the airway providers, they thought this would be a clever case to do a retrograde intubation on. It, it just boggles the mind. I, I have nothing against the presenter. He seems like an incredibly nice soul, but uh, bad information was pervade. That is not a patient you would ever, ever, ever do a retrograde intubation on. So again, just to be absolutely clear, retrograde intubation is for patients who are still breathing on their own in the recess world. So an awake intubation that just has not been able to be completed. But there's no reason to worry. The patient's still breathing on their own. They're still awake, whether it be topicalized or dissociated. And now we could actually thread a wire up and intubate them while they're still awake. In the anesthesia world, in the past, they may have occasionally done this on a patient they have actually done general anesthesia on, but that was after a trial of bagging in a patient who is a empty stomach who is not predicted to be an aspiration risk, then maybe in that environment, retrograde in the past would have still been a good idea. But in that world, fiber optic bronch or video bronch has subsumed those patients to almost every extent. So really for me, I mean, just to tell you, the patients that I learned this on was a patient we had wanted to do in a wake video bronchoscopic intubation. And just because of secretions and the patient's usually distorted anatomy, 
Uh, we just could not find those courts. Uh, retrograde was perfect in that case. The other two cases uh, I had done, I think I've done three, maybe four, all of them, like at least 15 years ago, I just have had no need of this technique whatsoever, um, were on patients who we probably could have gotten away with not doing it. And this was still at a time, at a place uh, where it was okay to try different airway techniques. Um, and now I would probably never do this because I think there are enough risks to make this not okay. And, you know, Back then, I was under the auspices of an anesthesiologist who was training me as a fellow, and um, I was very thankful that I had that experience, but I probably not, would not do it for my learners because this is not a fully benign procedure. All right, but let's talk about how to get this done in those rare cases. Maybe once in a career, you're actually going to want to do this. So the first question is where to make the needle puncture. Now, Typically, when discussed in an emergency realm, they are using the area we are most familiar with, which is the cricothyroid membrane. And that does have the benefit of easy um, superficiality at the level of the skin. You know, you could find that very easily in a thin patient and familiarity, but it is not ideal. And in fact, I would say, uh, I don't want to go so far as to say, don't do this, but uh, the alternative site has so many advantages and it's just so much better that I just think it should be the one you choose if you were ever to do this. And the spot uh, recommended by almost every consensus is the subcricoid spot. So right, you basically the cricotracheal junction underneath the cricoid is the ideal spot for this. Now for a number of reasons. First of all, it's going to have far more of whatever you put in anterograde, so from the mouth or a nose over the wire, it's going to have far more of it into the area past the cord such that there won't be any real risk of dislodgement at that point. I mean, you gain like another inch, another two or three centimeters of that device being past the cords. You're not going to lose it. The potential for vocal cord damage, markedly less. The potential for bleeding, surprisingly, actually less, as long as you're not going too low and actually getting into the thyroid vessels. Um, and the uh, potential to rip through the cricothyroid membrane, thereby getting a lot more bleeding and subcutaneous emphysema, also less. Because now you're actually, your wire is pushed up against a cartilaginous structure, the cricoid, which could sustain the forces uh, of being pushed against versus the cricothyroid membrane, which oftentimes tears. And there's a vessel that runs over it. It's not a major vessel, but it's enough to cause a lot of bleeding, hematoma, and if that opening is wide enough, the potential for subcutaneous emphysema. So uh, I recommend the subcricoid needle puncture site. And uh, if only for avoidance of the vocal cords alone, if you're going cricothyroid, you basically are pushing right at the vocal cords with your needle and your wire. Um, not a great idea. So the subcricoid is the place to hit. Now, you, if you're doing this, and again, this should be elective, this should never, ever, 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 ever be a crash procedure. So you have all the time in the world, so you want to position the patient, and you do that by putting a shoulder roll under their shoulders, in contradistinction to what you do with intubation, where you want something under their head, uh, as opposed to, in this case, you actually want neck extension. And so you uh, want something under their shoulders, and uh, in, unless the patient's uh, quite large in body habitus or they have a goiter, uh, you should have no problem finding the cricoid cartilage and going right beneath it for your puncture site. All right, so that was the site of puncture, side cricoid. All right, let's discuss needle choice. Now, Cook makes a retrograde intubation set. It's quite nice. It's ideally suited to task. No one's going to have them because you, this is done so infrequently that if you stock these kits, they'll all be expired. 
Um, unless you have an active anesthesia service that is doing this, and maybe you guys could agree to share kits, maybe. It's doubtful. I'll talk later on about the uh, really way you could get 99.9% .9 of the way there with stuff that you should already have available. But it does mean you're not going to have a task-specific needle, so you got to grab something. And the one to grab is the needle from a centerline kit. Uh, ideally, I think, my personal belief, is that uh, catheter over the needle from the centerline kit, which is an 18-gauge catheter. I think it's a 19-gauge uh, needle. And... Uh, that'll get you there. It's a little bit uh, easier, I think, to pass the wire through an angiocath rather than through the needle. You don't want needle movement. The trachea is not that large. You don't want to back wall it uh, accidentally. And I think once the angiocath's in there, and you can confirm again um, that it is, because what you'll do is you take a syringe with like five cc's of saline in it, you put it on the needle with the catheter over it, you put that in, you get the bubbles there, you say, I'm in, you advance the catheter up, it goes easily. Now you take the needle out, you detach the syringe, and you put that onto the angiocath, and you could confirm again before you start jamming wires in places. Uh, it, it's very comfortable. I like it. So that's generally the needle I will recommend. I'll go in a little bit with the needle. I will not hub the needle. Um, and then once the needle's in enough that I'm getting the air bubbles, maybe I'll go in one millimeter more, and then I'll advance the angiocath, make sure that goes easily and then you are good to go. Now, what could be used, and I've never done this because I didn't have access to them back then when I was actually doing this technique. I see no reason it wouldn't work. In fact, I think it is the way to go. But again, I'd like someone to actually try and make sure it is golden, uh, is to use a micropuncture set because then you're actually doing the punctures with a very small needle, a 22-gauge needle, very safe. You think even if you backwalled the trachea with a 22-gauge, um, you'd be okay. Nothing irreparable will be done. And then once the 22 gauge is in, you're confirmed in the lumen, um, then you can advance the very, you know, uh, thin uh, micropuncture guide wire, take out your needle, and then you don't need to make a nick. Uh, you could just use the internal dilator with the micropuncture uh, catheter over it and advance that up, take out the wire and the internal dilator, and now you're golden. You have a four French catheter aiming up towards the patient's mouth, and uh, you're good to continue. So perhaps a micropuncture is the ideal choice. But now it becomes interesting. What puncture angle do you actually use for this? Now, when we're doing percutaneous tracheostomy, uh, counterintuitively to people who have never done this before, you don't angle down towards the lungs. You actually make your puncture at a 90 degree, a perpendicular angle to the trachea whenever you're doing these percutaneous trachs because you, what you want is you want the catheter to go in um, at that same perpendicular angle. So you actually get, uh, you make your puncture, you get in at a 90 degree angle, you withdraw the air into the half-filled uh, syringe and then you angle it down while it's already in the skin to make the angiocath advance downwards or the wire advance downwards. Uh, should you do that for the retrograde intubation? Well, you could, uh, or because nothing's being kept in. You could make your initial angle at something like 30 degrees aiming towards the uh, cephalad direction, aiming towards the mouth. Um, and that I think would be okay too. And in fact, that is generally my preference for this procedure as opposed to something where you're going to actually be keeping a catheter in and which you really do want the 90 degree puncture angle. So maybe angle about 30 degrees up, subcricoid uh, is going to be how we're going to enter. All right. Now, do you need anesthesia? Uh, why not? Again, this is 
a, it's not elective, but it is not crash, right? It is, uh, in the anesthesia world, it'd be elective. Here, it's not going to be crash. So yeah, take the time to infiltrate lidocaine and make it with epinephrine. Why not cut down on bleeding any even more? Now, uh, you've gotten your angiocath in or your micropuncture set in. Next question, should you anesthetize? Because uh, you could conceivably, especially in the subcricoid where um, there's more likelihood that whatever uh, you have in the lumen is actually uh, still in the, uh, the airway as opposed to popping out through the cords. Uh, you could just push some lidocaine if you wanted, even if it is popping up through the cords, which it... You hate that sound. I hate that sound. Why are you hearing that sound? You're hearing that sound because you are a unpaid listener to MCRIT, and yet this is one of those episodes where only the team members, the MCRIT members, get the full episode, which means you're missing out on tons of resuscitative goodness. You're missing out on the optimal way to care for your super sick patients. And it's sad because just going to mcrit.org slash join would allow you to get full access, to get access to the rack literature reviews, full episodes, uh, extra goodies, bonus stuff, for an incredibly inexpensive price. Your department will pay for it, or you could write it off on your taxes. Uh, you could get it done before the end of the year and become a full MCRIT member. Just go on over to mcrit.org join, and you will now be someone exposed to all of the information to take care of your super sick patients that you want. You'll get this full episode and be able to actually perform a retrograde intubation. You'll be happy. So just go on over to mcrit.org join and never hear this message again.